we left off last week uh, with the question that we only made a very, uh, very initial beginning to try to address. And that is uh, the situation as it was described in light of previous session, talking about the concept of uh, viewing your work in your company as essentially a cooperative effort, wanting the success of everyone together in the best good way, and uh, at the same time finding yourself challenged in this endeavor by the fact that there are people in the company that are making more than you. That makes it hard to really feel fully connected with them and the rest of the company. And we saw in that like a microcosm of um, what seems to be described in some of the great Svarim, Ramban, Chavos, Lavavos, the the tension, the conflict, the challenge of, on the one hand, uh, the power in the person, the good power in the person to connect with others, really care for them, really be devoted to them, really wanting to be working together with them and experiencing life in that kind of way, on the one hand. And on the other hand, the power of separation and division and competition as the Chavazavos describes, that uh, the world would be so much more successful and enjoyable if everyone would be devoted for the success of all together. And yet we find instead of all this innate koach is within the human being, that people are so often pulled in a different direction to want to have their success all essentially unto themselves Although, of course, they'll be generous and, and charitable. But essentially, they're viewing their, their success as their own and even engaging in competition where they get involved with one trying to obstruct the other and wanting more than what has been apportioned to them in life by Hashem, wanting grandiose achievement and winding up very unhappy as a result as opposed to if they would be taking the approach of only wanting the best good success of all together, and then they would conquer the world. And then Ramban talking about person wanting for his friends success in all areas, but still wanting to be a little bit ahead of him. They should not be equal. And calling this... Um, lowliness of jealousy but it nevertheless a very powerful force in the person obviously and although we can't really um, know for sure that what we're experiencing is the exact same thing as what is being uh, referred to by the Ramban, Chavos Lavavos and maybe other good sources and we do have to try to examine our own personal experience as best we can but there does seem to be a lot of similarity and that uh, challenge that we experience is not something new in the human experience. It may be one of the primary ones. 
Volby describes things as being largely a conflict of Zorus and division versus Yedidus and connection. This would fit right in. So I think it's worthwhile trying to understand what is the real nature of that challenge as we experience it. What is it that uh, causes us to need to be making at least the same as the other people in the company or in the community and being prevented from really being connected to them when I'm not making the same as them? What is this really all about? And is there a way that we can try to address it? So I'll offer something and then we'll try to see how we can proceed. My basic assumption is that what's happening um, almost universally in our day and age, often on a conscious level, uh, often sometimes not on a fully conscious level, is that we are measuring our self-worth and we are trying to establish for ourselves our self-worth based on our comparison to others, based on our competition with them. Someone you know have no relationship to will be making that that amount more would not affect me. So people that are around me, sometimes even my own friends, like Ramban is describing, and when they are ahead, then I'm feeling I'm less than them. I'm not measuring up. I need to be equal to them in order to feel that I'm good enough. I remember my own experience in Kolel at one stage, I was trying to um, match or do the same thing as some people that were a little bit older than me, while at the same time also trying to do my own kind of learning. And that was just totally unmanageable and almost absolutely devastating. Trying to copy them while also being myself, it was, was very not good. Was I aware of what was really going on? Not at all. What's my assumption looking back? That was, without my being aware, my means of proving to myself that I am equal to these fine, outstanding young Tamidahamim and the yeshiva. That if I could match them in their production, then I can consider myself to be successful. And we are engaging in this and looking for very tangible measurement. Of course, we'll never use intangible things like uh, our accomplishment in Midas, because those things we can't even measure or know so well. We'll look for tangible things. And of course, money is a very tangible means of measurement. Of Am I measuring up? Am I good enough? Can I see myself as a successful person? Do I have what it takes to have self-respect, even for myself? And that's what produces that need to be equal to others, or in some cases to be ahead, because if I'll be the winner in the competition, then I'll be quite certain that I'm good, I'm successful. I'm definitely not a loser if I'm the winner. 
what is this really all about? Why do I need so badly to be equal to other people in the company or in my basic uh, social standing? Why do I need to be equal to them? My suggestion is that it's not so much necessarily about um, the fear they're looking down upon me, but as a means in my own measurement of myself, my own establishment of my good sense of self-worth will be established through my being successful in some respectable endeavor that I'm engaged in. So it'll be in the, in the spiritual realm. So I'll need to try to measure my success in that realm. And if it's in the material world, then I'll need to be measuring that in material worlds. But all essentially to establish to myself, prove to myself, gain for myself that sense of self-worth, which um, I somehow experienced that I don't have without this mission. To try to approach this, I think we may need a few good uh, ingredients to help us um, be most successful. Uh, I think it's worth being open to the possibility that there can be a, um, a very familiar, very ingrained, very long-standing kind of mindset, heart set that we have lived with for a very long time that we could discover really um, doesn't have any real basis whatsoever. And it can exist in our in our life in a very powerful way, even though it really does not have any actual real truth to it. Not only that, it can exist in a very widespread way in the world without having real truth to it. And it's, it's worthwhile for us to try to be open to that and not feel that we are going to be disrespecting ourselves if we open ourselves up to a new way of looking at things. Not to then sort of use it as a source of self-criticism. How could I, you know, have thought otherwise? Or now I'm telling myself that my feelings are invalid. We should be respectful of our feelings and recognize that they are very real in our experience, but not necessarily a reflection of anything truthful. The next ingredient is to try to look at um, whatever we were experiencing in life in its true form. Whatever we are given to experience in life is, by definition, part of Hashem's creation, ongoing creation of the world and our life and our life situation. Nothing is here of itself. It's only here because Hashem is willing it to be here. Hashem is enabling this to exist, giving it its, its power of existence. That includes the entire uh, substance of our mental and emotional and psychological experience. And of course, the the question then will be, well, what, what purpose could this have? 
course, only one purpose, as a means of our coming close to Hashem. So you might wonder, could it really be that something that seems to take us away very much, like in this situation, preventing us from the good connection to our fellow Jews, to our fellow company members, to our even very good friends, could that be something that will be able to be utilized to come close to Hashem? So we can uh, turn to some good sources to discover that, yes, absolutely. Anything that is pulling us away is by definition innately a means of coming close to Hashem. Because one of the aspects of accomplishing that is, as the Ramchal says many times, removing aspects of deficiency from our life experience and from our attitudes. So there is acquisition of that which is good and positive, and there's the element of removing that which is undesirable and untruthful. So by definition, it's a, uh, it's a good, helpful method of achieving our purpose, if we can find a way. And also we have the very great insight from Rav Tzaddik that Rav Olbi brings that sometimes, um, when he says that, not sometimes, by definition, the areas that are most difficult for us are the means of our greatest growth and greatest personal achievement. So we could definitely draw from there that even something that would seem to us to be experienced in the most negative kind of way can be turned around to wind up being the most positive. And that has basis also in the morale, who says that the greater the barrier, which I then overcome and come close, the greater the closest will be accomplished and revealed as a result. That's Lefum Tzaira Agra. The greater the challenge, the greater the ultimate closeness that is achieved by overcoming that challenge. But I would suggest that's, that that is by definition inherent in the challenge because we have the concept always of the Mida Ra is always opposite the Mida Taiva. The, the, the negative power is something that is counterbalancing the opposite and extreme positive power. So wherever we see something that is uh, very, very powerful and taking us away from the best good spiritual achievements, best good connection to one another, then that will be a means of discovery. We'll be able to utilize it. We can, we can hope very, very strongly to be able to utilize it to discover something uniquely positive. Only way to describe this is with the the concept that is used in judo, where you take the energy that's being thrown at you and you turn it around. So in this case, the effect of what is, of course, only attributed to the Eight Sahara and our experience is something that we could utilize to discover the flip side positive elements 
as the mirror, as the, the opposing mirror, good mirror image, the, the good posing positive force. Now, this could be used as the means of discovery. And that way we'll take that difficulty, that challenge, that hard kind of situation and flip it into discovering the best good thing. And what would that be like? Rebetzadik is saying that's my weakest area as I'm experiencing it where the Torah is attacking me most strongly and sometimes most successfully, that is the place where I could experience the greatest growth. But along similar lines, I'm suggesting that in addition to this concept of my own personal maximal growth can come from my what seems to be my weakest place, there's also the innate dynamic that's the, the powerful strength of the one side that is not good, not desirable, is the reflection of the other opposing side of the positive midatayva that is on the other side of this. And we could use it as the way to discover. If I am experiencing this, this lack of the feeling of my self-worth and the need to use competition, the need to use not good methods, not productive methods, to try to establish it, things that wind up potentially even very damaging to me, certainly taking me away from the best good experience and the best good Torah experience, then that's a, that's a, a window to what is the truly proper kind of a view, the correct view, the truthful view that will uncover something extremely positive that I might not have been in touch with before, maybe because I didn't even like sense the need for it. Maybe I could have been in touch with it, but it was sort of going unnoticed. And now I need to find it. I need to, to establish a correct view and the correct experience. And that's going to be by looking at what is on the other side of this negative kind of a attitude, undesired attitude, difficult attitude. Now, not one that I should be condemning myself for. Hashem has made this. Hashem has placed this, placed this in my in my life experience for me to use, for me to, to, to access. This is the best way I could say it, to flip it. But in a sense, like we can almost see how this could work. I'm suggesting, I'm suggesting we could see how Rabbi principle could work. Uh, because but by definition, because of the power of the it's a horror of the of the of the negative side i can discover that there must be equal power opposing it that has been sort of hidden from me that i wasn't in touch with now i need to find it and get in touch i need to access it this is it's going to be something that's going to be equal and opposite of what is powerfully attacking me, so to speak.
it's like it's like if I wouldn't have such a challenge of let's say the the, the meat of gaiva, I wouldn't I wouldn't come to appreciate the beauty of anava. Now I need to learn what is anava really all about. <clears throat> Maybe it's so much better than gaiva. What I'm suggesting is that since it's established in that kind of way, as we see in the Bain Bachai, Shalomalakh is always putting the Mida Taiva opposite the Mida Ra, the Yasha versus the Baigate, and throughout. So the more powerfully I am I'm seeing the action of the Mida Ra or the attitude that it's not good. The experience of in this case the lack of self-worth, what that is essentially uh, made out of, what, what, what its nature is, that can be utilized as, okay, let's figure out what is the opposite of this. Let's use this as, a, as an arrow to look for the other side and really get in touch with what is the zeh? That's la zeh. I should mention that it is a, also a natural tendency of ours to try to like shut down and play it down. Like if Obi writes with Farish, I don't really want to deal with this. And especially something that has been so long standing in my life, there's a basic assumption like this is what it is and this really can't change. So there's a resistance to be even aware of it fully and to try to work at it and it's much easier to try to just like push it out of sight and out of mind and i'm suggesting that if it really could be if it really could happen that i could use this to really gain a better kind of a contact better kind of an awareness of the other good side that i might not even have been in touch with otherwise I couldn't maybe I could not have been touched with otherwise then it will be worth it it will not necessarily be experienced as just all like you know hard and, 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 and un uncomfortable and unpleasant work it could be discoveries like whoa here's how I'm thinking here's how I could be thinking this is what I'm in touch with now this is what I'm not in touch with which is right there which is all there for the taking. Just it's been concealed. It's been, it's been like sort of blocked from me. Well, now I have a good enough cause to try to find it, to try to get in touch with it, to try to marvel at it. Who knows what might happen? But that's a hard, hard sell. That's a very hard sell. That's like, again, it's your hardest meter. That's what you're trying to get in touch with, your hardest meter. Thing. I, I, I might be able to beat this meter, but instead I'm going to choose the one I probably can. I'm suggesting that it's only because of our very ingrained mindset that what, what is hard for us, we're, we cannot expect to flip it into what is good for us. That it comes to us. It sounds to us like a hard sell. I would recommend or, you know, request, so to speak, that uh, we, we embark on a little journey and see what we might discover. And some of these ideas have been shared in this forum. Uh, so that's also fine, but you know, it's hard to remember them and uh, it's, it's good to review every once in a while. So um, 
the first question I want to ask is, is there really basic truth to the entire mindset of trying to measure my self-worth, establish my self-worth, prove my self-worth to myself? Because we have to ask the question, who is that self that I'm trying to measure? Who is that self that I'm trying to prove its, its value to myself? Is this self that I am trying to prove is good enough really uh, in existence? Or is it only the creation of my mind? You know, we have in the Chavos Lavavos the idea that the Eitzar presents itself as my good friend. He's very integrated. He's very enmeshed in me. But he also writes, he presents himself as my good advisor, my good friend. He wants everything good. And he really is an assassin. But the assassin is presenting as my good friend, trying to slip me, you know, some some poison in my drink. All the while, you know, making me think that like it's all uh, wonderful and good and he really cares for me. That's how they, the Chosov describes it. But if we stop to think about what is going on here, when we think in terms, or even thinking consciously, when we are living in terms of proving our self-worth, measuring our self-worth, establishing our self-worth. But what is that self? Is that self a real ex of any existence? Or is that only totally imaginary? Because we have to ask ourselves, do we really know? Do we know anything about what our true self is? Do we have any knowledge about what is at the real core of our true existence? And I think we'll all say that we do. We do have some knowledge about it. We have learned about it. We do know something about it. We've seen it probably many, many times and heard about it many, many times. And nevertheless, it sort of gets sort of faded out out of our mind and out of our subconscious almost because what is the true person the true person is only the neshama yoyna that the Ebishtah has created and placed into the guf in a very integrated fashion to the point that we, we come to think of ourselves largely in terms of our guf but very, very minimally, if at all, in terms of our neshama. Our true existence, which we do know about, like Mr. Sharma says, a person wouldn't need to have a neshama if it was just for Allah Mahazin. So, and, and he goes on to prove how it does not have any satisfaction in this world. And we don't disagree with that. And we've learned about Tzalmel Kim. And that the whole possibility of a person being given the mitzvah to emulate Hashem is only because he has an Hashem that is so exalted that is able to be instructed and directed 
to emulate Hashem as much as it possibly can, which is our whole life existence, our whole mission. And then through that neshama to ultimately receive the infinite maximum gift that Hashem wants to give to us. So we know that we, that we are essentially this divine being, divine creation that is so close to Hashem as to be able to receive that which cannot be shown to any Navi or, or any Malach. That's what the Neshama can receive. Something that no Navi or Malach was shown. It's, it's, it cannot even be, be defined. It cannot even be expressed. It's, it's similar to Hashem himself that cannot be fathomed. But we're not, we're not in touch with it in a tangible way. So it's, it's, it's out of sight, out of mind. And then what happens? There's a false sense of self that takes over. There's only one way to describe this. You know, to, to, to pardon the, uh, the, the, the science fiction, uh, you know, similarities. Hostile alien takeover. It's a hostile alien takeover of our whole being. We're relating to ourselves as some kind of being that needs to prove its worth, that needs to establish its worth, that could possibly measure its worth. The neshama needs no proof of its value. It cannot be measured, and it does not need to be proven, and it's, it, cannot, it cannot be subject to any comparison. And you can see this very clearly if you try to replace all those I statements that are, that are running through our mind or that may be deep down. You try to put in the words my neshama instead of the word I. And we'll see how long that's, that sentence could last. <clears throat> my neshama is just not good enough. My neshama is not as good as the other people in the company. Neshama is not worth the Shama is a loser. It's all ridiculous. <clears throat> so we could see clearly that from a logical standpoint, that all the negative I statements are by definition, they are definition, <laughs> by definition, they are made out of, that they are they're all dependent upon a false sense of self that is living, that is alive and active in our life experience. And we are trying to establish our self-worth. But who is that self? It's a non-existent being. And the Shama's worth does not need to be established. It just needs to be fully accessed and fully utilized and fully actualized. That's, that's one step. Okay, Ravaya, you can now comment. I appreciated that that idea of putting the minus shaman instead of the I statement. Yeah, that's, I think that, it's that's a very from, powerful concept. That's from Rabbi Shlomi. He gets full credit. Shlomi Zimmerman? Zimmerman on, on this past Tisha B'Av. You could, you could hear it there, you know. So where do, these, where do these statements come from? Why do we feel that way? That's a great question. And the, the, only, the, the only answer that we could know is and Hashem has made us that way. Most people, if you if you stop trying to watch it, which is the next step that we're trying to get to, you can notice that there is almost constant chatter in your 
A lot of it is negative. A lot of it is, oh, I messed up again. I'm not good enough. I just can't get this right. It's good to be aware that all these statements we did not create. We did not sit down to decide. I'm now going to think a whole torrent of negative thoughts about myself. They're just flowing. They're just coming. And from the thoughts come the feelings. We perceive, have some kind of perception, some kind of thought pattern, and that produces the feelings. And then we're in bad shape. Then we get to yish, and it's horrible. Or something less than that is a whole continuum. But essentially, this, we, can, we can ask ourselves, did I plan to think this way? Did I decide to think this way? No. But the fact that it is so pervasive and so natural causes us to think that this is true. We're, we're, we're like drawn in. We're sucked in. It's like a bad dream. When you're having a bad dream, it is so real. You ever remember having a bad dream and like mom is scared? And then you woke up as like, oh, Baruch Hashem. Essentially the same thing. It is so real that it takes over and we relate to it as reality. All those thoughts that I'm having and the feelings that I'm having must be true. It's so, it's so alive in me. It's not our creation. It is Hashem's creation. What is his kavana? Maybe there's a, there's, there's a tikkun that needs to be accomplished by this door. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, when you watch a movie and you're drawn in, you want to hear something hilarious? There's a movie, Stuart Little, about a talking mouse. When I saw it, I said to myself, I'm not going to buy this. This is not going to get to me. I'm not going to start thinking about this like, like, you know, as if this mouse is really alive and talking. Well, sure enough, by the time the movie was over, you know, you were totally drawn in <laughs> to the talking mouse. That's how it goes. As clearly false as that can draw us in, then certainly the thoughts in our mind can draw us in. This is the awesome power of the Yitzhahara. So here's, here's a little exercise that you could try to utilize and see what the experience could be of that. And it can, can apply in different situations in life in the best of a good way. Try to, you know, um, envision and get ready for the next occasion when this flood of thoughts and feelings is going to hit you like a tsunami. And, and be ready just to sit back and watch it. Sit back and watch it raging in your mind. Sit back and listen to that message loud and clear. You see, you can't get it right. You can't get shot. You're not as good as everybody else. You can't get the job done. You're never going to be good at whatever you need to be good at. Just be ready for that power to be hitting. And just be ready to sit back and, and, and watch it and listen to it. Then ask yourself, I am I'm observing all this. I am hearing all this. I am feeling all this. And I am aware that I'm feeling all this. Who am I that is watching and hearing and feeling all of this that's going on inside me? 
who is that being that is watching it and hearing it? It's the same thing when the Yetzirah is pulling me. When the Yetzirah is pulling at me, if I don't shut off and just go with the flow, but on the contrary, I watch it. I watch that pull, pulling. I could also ask the question, who is watching the Yetzirah pulling at me? and waiting to see how long that pull will last. There's only one answer. That's the neshama ha-sichlis. That's the neshama ha-yana. That is my true self. That is watching all this power raging inside. And all these messages screaming. And all that pull, pulling. Oh, here's the neshama. I made contact with it. And I also did something very, very major as a good step in not being taken over by all these thoughts because I realized I could watch them. So they are not the same as me. So I came to discover for this moment that I am not the thoughts and the feelings. And they do not define who I am because I could just watch them and I've also made contact with my neshama neshama, who is the one that is observing them and watching them that neshama shebemoichi like we say in Kavanas Tfilm so oh so I've made contact with the neshama and what do I know about the neshama amazing amazing things at the very least the very least it's not a thought it's not a feeling (laughs) <laughs> the one that is watching it, the seichel that is watching it, is not a not a random thought, and not right. a random feeling. It's not a davar gashmi. It's not random. It's not not just happening. It's able to to have that awareness. Oh, I could watch this. I could hear this, and I can question this. And I could say, is this my True belief? I don't know about that. It's very powerful. It doesn't feel good. Is this my creation? Hmm, I don't think so. Oh, okay. In that state of awareness, at least I'm, I'm aware of the musig of the neshama. <laughs> at the very least, I know that it could be the neshama. Oh. So I'm being reminded that there is an ashamma in a person. There's something besides just thoughts and feelings. There's the, the, the sense of bechira, the, the choice to submit to it, to go with the flow, to go with the pull, to shut down or not shut down. The, the awareness of, do I buy this? Do I, do I not buy this? Can I question it? Is this my, is this my, my truth that I believe in or not? That's an experience of some measure of Bechira. I am handling it. I am saying to myself, even though this is hard, I can still not be taken over by it. Even when I'm feeling like whatever I'm doing isn't really worth it anyway, I could say, no, that's just a feeling that I'm having. And what I'm doing is worthwhile. I could be in touch with my Kayach of Bechira. Common aspect, I think, is 
watching to see if I don't go with that pull, what happens? Eventually, it comes to an end. It doesn't last forever. So when it was trying to make me believe that I had to follow its direction, I had to act according to that, that, that desire, that pull, I can discover that wasn't correct. I remember hearing from the Meshivah Zechal Nebrecha, he said that a person has a sense that he has to act upon that pull. But Kamash Mulan, no, it doesn't last for, you know, indefinitely. And sometimes it doesn't last for very long at all. All this is contained in what Rav, Rav Cook is writing, that the Ikra of Tshuva is to come back to the true self. What's the lesson here? Tshuva Reishis. How do I go back to my the Sharish and my Nishama? Going up to Shemayim, the Sharish and my Nishama. Plain simply, awareness of my true self. So according to what we're suggesting, the these the power of the the full self is what is causing me to look to discover the true self. This is what's on the other side. What's the other side of the full self? The self that is so true and clear and powerful that it defies all falsehoods. It gets forgotten. But when it is clear, when it is known, then it is like this is this needs no validation. It needs no proof of its worth. It needs no comparison. It needs no competition. It needs none of that. Now, I think it's also interesting that in a certain sense, the aspect of connection is directly involved because what really gives us the color of connection to another Jew? What is, the, what is the substance of that connection? What is the basis of that connection? What is at the core of that connection? It's the, it's the neshama klolis and klolisra because there's a true spiritual connection. So when I can experience the connection a good way, I am discovering, I'm making some contact with my with my neshama, and then I will now will not need the competition. According to that recognition, in light of that recognition, that the neshama is kaiyim in me, that is my true essence. The only resistance, I think, the main resistance is going to be, this is so unfamiliar, this is so different, I, I cannot live that way. These are all vital thoughts from the Yitzhahara. All aspects of challenge, it's all things that Hashem is giving us as other additional aspects of challenge. All the thoughts that I cannot embrace this, look how, many, look how long I've lived without it. That's another aspect of falsehood that's in my mind from the Yitzhak. So, uh, hopefully we have something to work with. And, you know, we should not be afraid of the big challenges. The big challenges can always be seen as the means of discovering something very good, very positive, and try to come back to it. 
And the same thing with failures. Anytime that we mess up, we try to learn from it and just flip it. Okay, how did that happen? What went wrong? Where was the where was the deficiency? What was the what was the area of weakness? What do I need to, to try to be better at next time? Uh, I'll end with this story. A father uh, sent me a text. His eight-year-old son asked him, Tati, is it a bad thing that I forgot to wear scissors today? At the end of the day, he wanted to know what would be a good response. So I suggested the following. Say to him, no, it's a good thing. Because through this, you learned and you gained the motivation to find ways how to remember things better in the future. Now you know that you need to find some way how to remember things when you need to remember. And that will be a good skill that you'll have all life long if you can find it. So it was a good thing. And of course, we know from, 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 from the Gemara that even the, any Avera is the Dainis Nasik is if we do the tshuva for the right good reason, out of the hakar of the chesed Hashem, so then everything is flipped from, from Aveira to Mitzvah. So there's nothing that we cannot flip. So uh, there's no need for the Israel to get us down. So let's try to put ourselves into that situation. I'm in the company and somebody's making more than me. Can I say to myself, my neshama does not need to make as much as anybody else. Its value is unfathomable. I do not need to be making equal to him to be a fully a person of infinite value. Do I have enough to, to, to meet my needs in life? Yeah. He's making more. No, no, okay. Maybe just a husband. But for myself, my self-worth, I don't need this. Baruch Hashem. I wish for him he shouldn't need it either. I wish for all my chaveir not to need competition for their sense of good self-worth and their simcha sachai all day long. Yashukai HaVoy Sayyid.